All right, you guys, on this episode of the OutRun Show, we are swooping into the topics of uh, revisiting our spirit animals from uh, the uh, uh, prior episodes, episodes prior, Christmas past, and uh, as well as talking about some, what, did we have Locker Talk? No. No. Well, it's in there. Design. (laughs) Well, we're talking about our new studio that's coming in the new build. So we've got a brand new studio that we want to make like the awesome and most awesome and most productive uh, work and creative space in our new gym. So it's going to be super cool. And uh, then we dig into the idea of style. Is style the most sustainable way to train? What is it? How do you bring it to your practice? And how do you become the most stylistic version of yourself. All that and more on this episode of The Outrun Show. Ooh, I did go to the... Oh, that reminds me. Let's have a conversation. Did he just get reminded in the middle oh, of a reminder? In the middle of a reminder. He totally He's like, did. oh, that reminds me. That, this was happening. Oh, that reminds me. Okay. Inception. So we're two, we're, yeah, we're two trees removed from the Brooklyn two tangents off. Went to Bindles, keep going. Uh, right. They, they're like HQ almost now. The rose tree? Yeah. It's, was yeah. Cool. It was cool. And they had the um, the second floor. Yeah. Was was pretty sick and I was like, Oh, this reminds me of a shared workspace. And then I was like, when we have our meeting, um, about the what the uh Castle Black's gonna look like. I uh Oh, in terms of like furniture and layout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanna I wanna I I wanted to, to borrow from some of the I want I just feel like this this <laughs> Just bleep out the like. What the, is the, going just bleep on? out the like, bleep out the curse words, but this has to about? stay. This has to go in the episode. You realize that, right? Oh my gosh, dude! Did you sleep all right last yeah, night? Yeah, I slept great. I just had like so many ideas. Dude, take a take a couple of big drinks. There. <laughs> I should have less of this. <laughs> no, I want to have. Okay, I want to have a meeting to talk about the design of the studio in the new build, and I got a bunch of ideas because I looked at Bindles upstairs and then i started thinking about all the shared workspaces i've been to and i was like oh yeah i totally don't want this place to feel like a sterile office that yeah. i spent years trying to escape and just all these cool ideas flooded into my head from the bay area um shared workspaces i've been to all the we works and all that stuff mm. and i'm like dang we could make this like the sickest looking like co-working-esque space true yeah um, possible That's a good cool. right Woo, that was tough to get out you got there though. I got there. All from Vindal. All from Vindal. But yeah, I think co-working is a good uh, like uh, goal for that upstairs area. Like, that's what I imagine is like being up there and, and working with at least you three. But it'd be cool to have uh, the media guys up there too, and anyone working on projects in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're gonna have to get kind of efficient with that layout. Yeah, because we'll want we'll want it to be functional, but also aesthetically pleasing. It's gotta, right? yeah. As all so things should you, be functional are you and on the aesthetic. Same path as Travis, because I want like a big conference table. I'm like mm. that, but I I think, I think a big conference table is like is is fine for me. Yeah, but I don't think it's the most aesthetically pleasing like it's definitely really? the simplest because you just buy like you just buy a 1500 dollars conference table with like plugins on the on the mm-hmm. sides and then everybody just props their laptop up and then you're good right I'm it's like the most thinking, economical but it's not very good looking i'm just thinking like some like big big old table that's basically like a parkour piece and we just work at it i mean we just gotta see because like you say stuff like that and it's like my wife hates minivans but like she's thinking about the minivan from her childhood <laughs> and she minivans now oh hates minivans like oh, she's okay. like whatever we do we can't have a minivan oh, okay. and i think that's like why crossovers are so yeah. popular now anyway it's just because minivans are you know everybody's thinking like the the fresh off the boat tv series minivan right like that yep. astro with like you know everybody's like oh I it's don't literally like a bean with wheels yes Although but I take that new Volta, the electric Volta, right? And you stay right? i'm just saying like i don't have that's that what, that's what you're saying though i think like, brand like the like the current market minivans are basically floating like hotels like they're so sick they're almost <laughs> like what rvs used to be right 
Like yeah. my sister has a Honda and like that thing will do everything. Bucket seats, flips, like it's just all this cool stuff on the inside. And I had a different experience with that because my dad was a um, video and film producer for ad agencies. So when the minivan showed up that we worked in, it was like the minivan from like the movie, like Twisters or something. Like you got in and there's just all kind of radios and buttons and technology. It was like yeah. the A-Team. Like that's was, that was my minivan. It was like whoa, the A-Team. Whoa. Can you summon a fighter jet in here? <laughs> <laughs> It was so cool. So to me, it was not, you know, tra- touring around town, going to different, like, yeah. you know, it wasn't that kind of The carpool yep. minivan, yeah. Yep. Those were rough. So thumbs up or thumbs down for minivans, guys? Oh, I, I always want, a like, passenger van is, I feel like, more what you're talking about. And mm. that's what I always wanted for the gym. Mm. And, a like, bench seats on the side. Yeah, like, didn't I? I think I tried to convince you guys to buy one just, like, two months what? ago. Like, a bench seat on one side gaming monitors on the yes. other side as long as it's painted like the a-team yeah. and just like and then monkey bars on the other like miss mr t yeah this and probably, a giant spoiler on the back like road violations there on what you can mount inside your car what but... you can now do inside of a passenger van. well you'd basically well, be like a, a just there? another room that's parked and can move if you needed to move that's yeah right. yeah down yeah could could be and with glass garage doors, it just makes so much sense to always have like some sort of cool vehicle parked, parked right up front. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like an event van. Mm-hmm. That'd be pretty cool. Yep. We'd have to do some more events once everybody gets all vaccinated and stuff, but yeah. And yeah, there's places to go. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's nowhere to go right now. Just uh, just here. Yep. Staying home. True. But that's all right. Are we gonna? We'll there. Are we gonna? Say, are we gonna revisit? I want to revisit our uh, spirit animals, our parkour spirit animals, to see if they've changed. Because you want to try and lobby for a different one, or what? No, because that's gonna, you're gonna have to lobby <laughs> off screen. For I'm, a different one, okay? <laughs> okay, so background: we had a episode. Was it like our first? It was like one of the first five episodes of the podcast. Was it really? Yeah, it was early, early on because it was Dang. in my house. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Summer camps were going on. Oh, okay. So I don't, wow. I don't quite remember Justin's. I don't remember anything except what was yours. Oh, yeah. Mine was a mountain goat. His was a mountain goat. You're right. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's then, right. Justin was a cat. Travis was a chicken. No, no, no. It was a crow. crow. Well, I know crow was the modified one. We we, we started. With we started we, we went with chicken. Chicken was the first one, and then and then we were like, okay, <laughs> you're definitely smarter than a chicken, so we'll give yeah, you a crow because crows are super smart. Super smart. smart. Annoyingly smart, in fact. Yeah, they are. So. Yeah, crows and ravens are pretty cool. I had to. So you're trying to to lobby for a different one? No, I'm trying to lobby for raven. Raven. Isn't it? also got that holographic, right? The the, the feathers. Are ravens and crows. Aren't they? Like, pretty much the same. They're different. different. Yeah. They're a little bit different. Yeah, ravens. Done me a learn. Uh, They are. Same idea. (laughs) Same idea. So I'm just thinking, like. What's the main difference? Can you look that up? Well, the beaks are different. Their call is different, and they have a um, so like that, like a crow. A crow is not <laughs> to do a bird impression. Yeah, just look it up. The crow. I is want the like the scientific main difference. Bigger, between. older, smarter. Hey, you're not the bird For guy. Ravens. Okay? For ravens, he's got a phone. He's the bird guy. the research. <laughs> ravens like crows, 11, 12 years. Ravens up to thirty. What? Yeah. Oh, dang. Ravens are a little bit bigger. They technically are smarter. They're less like... Um, what does technically smarter mean? Like they're better at math, but not as... Yeah, I mean, maybe they live like... longer so they can acquire more knowledge, but their memory is stronger. <laughs> their memory is stronger, and they're like, their relationships are different. So huh. there's that. So do you want do you want the raven over the crow over the chicken? Because they're just... I mean, the chicken, I, I totally agree with you. I'm mm. wanting to lobby for something other than a <laughs> yeah. chicken, because yeah. I would too. Um, but do you want the raven over the crow just, you know, for the for the aesthetic reasons? Because you think ravens, yeah. they, I think, they're cooler? Well, I think they that, are. I actually, I, I like think that, I totally get what you guys were saying. You guys were going for chicken. Well, first, I look like a bird in so many ways. So <laughs> I'm willing to own that, right? Let's start there. Like the nose, the profile, you know, and this. And then, Colin, you can just freeze in a bird graphic. That's like, ah, give me a nice, like, crow or something. Anyway, the arm link, like, there's a lot of bird stuff going on. And I, and you guys, I didn't even get the, 
I didn't get bird deep, bird deep, bird deep. I didn't even get the the thing when you guys started calling all the personalities. So like Justin's like, yeah, it's because like you're always like on the outside like squawking in. <laughs> He's squawking. <in. laughs> Side squawking. <And> I'm squawking. <laughs> <laughs> so true, dude. And I'm just like, He's like hey, what are you doing? Hey, <laughs> love snacks. Like, love snacks. Love snacks. But then, and then a lot of heckling. So I was like, okay, I get it. Fine. Because I wanted something glorious and glamorous. Like, like not an ego, because I think the ego has been over, like, hyped in America. Like, I think this is really just this, like, you yeah. know, sort of, like, trash bird. For, you know, I mean, he's, they're scavengers, right? Uh-huh. They're, they're like, and they're pretty birds and they're cool. But it's, you know, we've made it this gallant thing when, like, what did Benjamin Franklin want? A turkey? Because he thought that stuff was really cool. Yeah. Well, it's just because turkeys are, like, the only bird that's like native to North America, yeah they're indigenous so, yeah. right and so he's trying to be like authentic right yeah which is which is definitely like you know realistic and that's i thought fair. eagles are pretty cool but they're really like kind of quiet and solitary they really are i'm just not You're quiet not that. and i'm not super no solitary no. but so i just figured like you know crow on a bad day raven on a good day right like <laughs> the crows are like heckle more they hang out more in groups the ravens a little more solitary older have some wisdom you know if you get a little bit of that do you think a ravens live longer because like biologically they're they're just Paul, which better wired or because they just make smarter decisions hmm. like is it just like crows are just they're just in like much crows drama? Are, yeah they're just like they're always starting something they're always right? trying to do like the the height drop off the they're always the around talking shit mm-hmm Crows always talking. And shit. then they just get clapped. Yeah. And, then and that's why it's, they make it to 12. Because they're just doing too many parkour shenanigans. Yeah, they're doing high drops. Mm-hmm. Talking beef. Eating whatever. They're at Taco Bell, yeah. Baja Blast. <laughs> we love you, Sean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but there's, there's, that, there's that characteristic aspects um, that I can relate to more. It's just, yeah, the, it took me a while to, to warm up to the aesthetic of, of a bird of that kind, right? A crow or a raven. But no, I'm like, yeah, no, I, I do see it. And it can't be like, so I think when you have like an animal persona, it just can't be too cool. It can't be too try hard. I don't like that. Like, and so like, yeah, you know, I learned that with the Chinese New Year and I was like a rat or something. I was like, well, 91. <laughs> yeah, I forgot what I was. It wasn't anything cool. There was like only was one 91. cool animal Is in the 91? Chinese New Year's. It was like the dragon. It's the year 2000. Oh, you have yeah. dragon. You have tiger. Um. Yeah, goat could be cool for our purposes. Could get dog. <laughs> I have dog. Yeah, Aww. I'm your dog. Which could be a wolf. Which could be you know. So you get you know you get some like. I don't you, know what's the what is the Mandarin word for it? Because I think it's everywhere. I've yeah. Seen so it the says Mandarin dog. word doesn't for, say canine. Uh, you would say shugao. So it is dog, and then wolf <laughs> is a pervert. So if you if you're a, a yeah color wolf. In, in Chinese is a derogatory term for like somebody who's sort of like, you know, just like, uh, like uh, they are kind of you know, crass and um, sexually explicit sometimes. Oh. You would call you a color wolf. Yeah. Salam. And so I'm like, man, color wolf sounds cool, but <laughs> yep. you guess you're a little pervy, right? Yep. Yeah, don't want to be that. Yeah, it's just wow. like somebody okay. makes crass jokes or something like that. Not really. It's not really like a predator, that much of a threat. But yeah, they, maybe it is. I don't know. I've, I've never been called it. So <laughs> thank God. <laughs> anyway, but, but yeah, we digress. We digress. But, but where where I was going though with the like, do the ravens live longer because they just make smarter decisions? Mm. Is we had the topic come up about like what's what's the most sustainable way to train parkour, mm. considering that all three of us are have been in it longer than the majority of parkour athletes, right? I, I would be confident in saying that nine out of 10 people I meet doing parkour have done it longer than they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you have, we're using a broad spectrum to, to bring in athlete, right? Yeah. A lot of the people we trained with earlier on, they are OGs still hanging in there. A lot of them still hanging in there. Yeah, yeah. I, I would use the word train and not do parkour, okay. right? right? Like you have to be actively practicing. Like if... I wouldn't count it. Not that everybody counts their own thing, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't count it if you're just like, oh yeah, occasionally like once a month I go out and I jump on some stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like that's not really training. So 
maybe you can call yourself a community member of parkour, mm-hmm. but not really like a parkour athlete currently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, if you're an athlete, it's more than a hobby. With once a month, it's like a hobby. Yeah, yeah, you're a hobby parkour, which is totally cool. We love that. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're an ath- like parkour athlete, you know? Yeah, I think I don't know many people who so casually train parkour that they fit in that like super hobbyist. Every once in a while you run into somebody who's like, I had a phase in high school, right? Yeah. Where they're like, oh yeah, I used to train and then now I want to get back into it. And they were out of the few, you know, did it a little bit or something. Yeah, how about how about this definition then? Mm. Longest consecutive training of parkour with no breaks. Yeah, that's how like, I we're going on 15, 16? How many years? It's got to be, it's going close to 16 because it started when I was 12, right? Mm. Sixth grade is when I started. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so so it's going on 16 years now and I've never had a break of like training parkour. Mm. Like I always did other things like I was skateboarding through middle school and high school mm-hmm. um, alongside doing parkour. So I'd skate to the parkour spot, you know, do mm-hmm. some skating, do some parkour, but I never took a break from parkour. Mm-hmm. So it's always been parkour as my like main thing. Mm-hmm. But typically, I don't think you advertise that. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, like, so it's our job. Like, but let's you call it could that. could I count it if I started at 12 and then stopped at 16 and then picked it back up at 24? Oh yeah, that's you know, we're... like that. I wouldn't say that I've been doing parkour for 16 years at that point. I'd be like, well, I've been doing parkour again for five. Right. right? I have that with language. Like when people ask me, oh, how long have you been studying Chinese? I'm like, oh, I went to school for a couple years in high school, then used it casually, and then whatever, picked up a couple lessons here. I don't tell people I have. 15 years of language experience <laughs> yeah that doesn't make feels a bit disingenuous sense. it's disingenuous i think so same thing with the same thing to downplay your exposure to like i feel like some people be they'd be training really hard and they're like you know, just like you know once a month or something like i feel like there's people like over leveraging their or under leveraging their um experience as well sometimes but okay let's <laughs> use that definition continuous training you know you had to have been it has to be on your mind you have to be trying stuff or training you know once a week or minimum or something like that pretty continuously yeah 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 exactly but anyway so would you guys say that there's anything because i are you guys are you stopping parkour no i've my part my parkour training has only become like i feel like yeah i feel like the last five years of my life has maybe been a little bit of parkour denial even (laughs) where like i'm training more of it or doing more of it than i'm actually like you know yeah not like not near not like an imposter syndrome but I just came with such a broad background of other stuff that it always, it just has taken a while for the volume to accumulate for me to be like, okay, parkour, cumulative parkour time stacks up against some of the other stuff I've done. You mm. just hold that contrast in your mind and you're like, well, this is what I've spent my time on, but really blah, 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 that kind of thing. Gotcha. So, so then would you have like any, and I guess not advice isn't a word, but what, what do you think was because you haven't had any major injuries that no. were like, oh, this is like, this made me stop parkour because I've completely broken myself, right? Which is a major reason why some people stop doing parkour because yep, yep. they have an injury, right? Mm-hmm. That's sad. Mm-hmm. That's the quickening. Uh, my only thing was that concussion back in like 2016. Um, but yeah, I think that was more of a nervous breakdown and cumulative stress from overload and just life trying to get stuff done. But no, I, even then... Parkour was like one of the first things I went back to. Strength training was first because I just needed to be able to get a baseline. But then mm. it was right back to parkour. And I remember crying the first time that I trained. Like I did a full session and it had been like a good amount of time. I just couldn't control my emotions. And then I was like, oh. Were you just like doing strides and just like. <laughs> it was some height stuff and some catch cats and some stuff over here that was like enough that you're like, okay, I'm not just hopping over a ball box now. Like I'm actually doing something that puts you in that place of uh you know mental flow state like and you're back at your baseline or yeah 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 like you're freaking like, yeah. doing it right you're hitting something you're a little afraid of and you're doing some strides and you know if it was it was parkour at a level that i had been used to training and then yeah so that means something emotionally i feel like and it wasn't something i had a choice over either so love is blind <laughs> what about you yeah what are we asking? What's the question? Is, is there anything that you avoided or rather did oh. did more of intentionally so that to, to continue this, right? Because I feel like your first five years or so of parkour, not you in specific, just in general in parkour, is all about like just consuming parkour, right? Yep. You should eat everything that's placed in front of you. 
And then after year five, you start to be a little more selective about what it is, either because of preference or because of maturity, mm-hmm. right? Maybe a little bit of both. Um, like, oh, I'm not into that. I'm more into this or I'm not doing that mm. because I want to keep doing it, right? And I think that also depends on to whether you start at, you know, 12 and then you're 17 at five years or you start at eight, right? And you're much younger when, when you get there. So some of that is like just a mental thing, but. So is there anything that you like intentionally avoided or intentionally pursued? Yeah, it's a definitely avoided and it's avoiding maximum effort for extended periods of time. That's true. You've mentioned mm-hmm. that before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it. There's just that. I mean, you see it when you see pro athletes doing their maximum effort. They come with I mean, that clip where they make it comes with like five other clips where they didn't make it. And you just only get a few of those. I feel like uh before one of them takes you out or does some chronic or, or gives you an injury that has chronic lasting side effects on there. So mm-hmm. that, uh, and I've definitely done maximum effort on camera and I've been captured <laughs> doing maximum effort on camera and, and the frustration that it has is, uh, is pretty stressful too. Like the pressure to perform your absolute best on camera and in front of other people is, is pretty high. And it pushes you to do things that you don't quite have. And it, it, it can teach you things too. But I just feel like there's a small window where you just you either learn the lesson or, or you or you complete your goal. But and then that and basically that was like three attempts for me. I think that was around twenty nineteen. I started giving myself that that limit. If I'm trying something at a hundred percent effort, you get three full fails, you know, where I'm where I basically just hit whatever I'm hitting in all the wrong ways. I give myself three attempts, and if I don't get it, I need to come back with it later or find a progression that gets me halfway there. That's kind of funny because I, I also have a, a similar rule. It's a more specific to like filming the clip, mm-hmm. and that like if somebody's filming, I'm like, film me three times. Yeah. If I don't get it in three times, we'll come back to it. Mm-hmm. Mostly, it's like to avoid them feeling like they're spending their whole training session filming me. But mm-hmm. also, it's it's a little bit of that. It's just like if I can't get it to a point that I feel satisfied about it in three attempts then it's either i'm overreaching too far or i'm a pretentious picky little bastard mm-hmm. and i just need to lower my standards mm-hmm. and be okay with yeah. how i look right Honesty. Yeah. either way it's like it's three attempts it's fine because you do all your practice times you get three filmed attempts mm-hmm. right so that's kind of funny that we both kind of stumbled on that i'm sure we we co-came up with that idea as we share a lot of our training philosophies but yeah there's genetics yeah <laughs> yes uh, yeah, there. Uh, what, what did you say? Sorry, I interrupted oh, yeah, you. I just, I, I think I lost it. But yeah, it, I mean, it's it's worked out for me uh, pretty well. I definitely don't have. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. There's a certain definitely pride in looking back on the things that I've done only once or twice. Um, so that you know, like con gainers and mm. other moves at super high risk. I like I look back and I can't believe I did them. Mm-hmm. But it's not like I was the best self back then. I was just the riskiest self and somehow I survived those risks. I mean, I remember doing like a double Kong over glass panes and then Kong praying like a brick wall. And, uh, during my tour and I looked back at that clip and I was like, what on earth was I thinking doing that? I've never done a double Kong pre before necessarily over glass, like uh, handrails. And so like, I, I feel proud about those moments, but I do feel more proud about the tricks that I can still pull right now as a 29 year old, mm. uh, casually, those tricks I'm more proud about because at any moment I can whip out, you know, a butterfly twist or a, some really easy tricking combo. And I feel like they're just as impressive as that trick because the only people who are impressed by those really big tricks are other parkour athletes. Yeah. So like, if I'm just thinking about what I feel happy about doing right now, it's all the stuff that, you know, only takes like 60% effort. They're really easy for me and they look really good. I could spend a lot of time doing them. And they're fun. Yep. Yeah. They're just, they just like, when I do it, there isn't like a rush of like, oh my gosh, I survived. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm, I did that really well. And it barely took the breath out of me. Right? I feel like your training should never feel like that. You should never yeah. finish a training session and be like, I lived. that's some hardcore survival bias literally people get addicted to that for sure yeah Yeah. and and i felt it it is very strong but i'm i'm not gonna keep doing that right now i look at it like no dude i would have done that 22 not anymore yeah I, i definitely feel like i 
there are there are some things that I'm not as good at as I used to be, but I definitely feel like I'm better as a whole athlete yep. now than I used to be then. One because the just the swath of things that I've like experienced to bring back to parkour is is wider, but also because I I feel like I've I've have a different look on certain skills, like certain skills that I'm like, oh, I really want to learn that. I really want to try that. That's too risky. Some of them I'm like, no, that would be cool, but I'm not going to risk it. Right. And other times I'm like, no, I, I'm going to go for that one because I'm confident enough that like I'm well-rounded enough that I can hit that. Whereas before it was like, I just, I just got to hit this because this is the next step for me. Right. I didn't have a, a wide enough field of view to be like, oh, I could just go over here. It was like, that's just the next thing. I'm putting at the viewers now. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's just the next thing for me. So I have to go for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas now I'm like, well, I could go over here for a little bit and kind of sneak around it or come back to it or something like that. And that I think is, is pretty cool. That makes me happy to be able to like come back to things and be like, oh yeah, I can, I can still do that. Or I can learn this thing that previously I was like, nah, it seems a little risky for me. So, yeah. yeah, I think that some of that's that that wisdom that kicks in <clears throat> where you start to realize that um, and we've talked about this before, but let me reiterate for folks listening the first time. It's just like there's that that linear progressions, which are like, what's the next hardest thing? Where might where is there's sort of these macro movements that are that are growingly difficult and stack on each other. One more one more rotation, one more foot on the jump, one more, you know, uh, gradient of like difficulty moving straight up versus looking at sort of the horizon and building that wider base. We earlier on in the podcast would talk about climbing the mountain and finding a wide base at a mountaintop, yep. right? Instead of try, always trying to just find what's the next little smallest rock I can get on top of kind of thing. Um, but the, the lateral progressions were things that we've had conversations with the coaches. I've been talking to coaches about them. And just like really stressing that creativity and experience in a way that brings up basically using the same technique that you've been working on already, but just in a contextual shift. Mm-hmm. And then um, <clears throat> we talked about, and, and I'll credit Olaf for after that conversation, we had we talked a lot about <laughs> how to describe, how to understand lateral progressions and how to implement them and how to create examples of them. But then um he talked about maybe using diagonal progressions which are like that terminology just to just to introduce like a varying complexity where the movement still may be the same but now the target is different and it's more difficult but you're not actually changing the whole technique or going a -hmm. full full gradient up Mm -hmm. on the skill level difficulty you're sort of adding in a variable that that makes it more difficult um but it's still the same technique you just worked on so i like that idea um and sort of playing in that space of, well, let's go up a notch and then let's explore sort of the periphery of that movement or that skill and where can I use it? So if we're talking about like a step vault, you know, instead of going from step vault straight to Kong vault, you might work on step vault on a very simple feature, but then you might work on a lateral progression, which could be something like, okay, well, I'm going to do step vault now, but I'm going to do it in a safer um, situation using maybe a more narrow object like a beam instead of the box right i'm not mm-hmm. really changing it that much same technique a little more risk so you include it there but then maybe something like okay well now step vault pre would be diagonal because now you're combining like a precision landing with it is a harder skill but right yeah. but you're not going concrete so yeah. that's why i think exploring that periphery and broadening the horizon of skills is something that comes with wisdom like you get smart enough where you like learn enough where you're like oh I can do this, this, and that. But if you're somebody who's brand new, it's just a flood of information. Or if you're a very narrow-minded coach or a young coach, you're just going to be like, oh, well, you do step ball or you do pop step ball. And mm-hmm. then you do step. And then you do speed. And then you do Kong. And then you do, you know, mm-hmm. you just, you're just, you're running straight up the gambit yeah. of growingly difficult techniques that you've seen before with no use of it. It's a bit analogous to language where people just go to some, schools and other like i remember where i went to school in china people knew a lot of english they memorized a ton of nouns but they could not form grammar and sentence and have conversation whereas people here who are new to the new to the country new to the language don't have a huge vocabulary but 
relative to the subject matter, let's say it's, you know, a, you know, a restaurant, a shop, a vocation, right? They, they can work in that space, all kinds of inside yeah. and out with just 50 words, right? Yeah. Yep. So it's, um, in a similar language vein, um, I was always taught with, especially with the French language that it's ignore the nouns, focus on the verbs. If you understand how the verbs work, you're much more flexible in the language, right? That's very, very true with, with French. I'm not sure. Like Japanese, you don't even conjugate your your verbs, right? Or certain to a certain degree, it's just the verb is the verb. So maybe it doesn't mm-hmm. apply to all languages. But in this case, I feel parkour is very much the same, right? Like the verbs are these lateral and diagonal progressions, right? Mm-hmm. And you learn the, the noun that is step ball, right? And then all of the things that you can do with the step ball and where you can do it and what you can add to it, those are all like your verbs. I mm-hmm. mean, in English, that's adjectives and adverbs technically, right? Mm-hmm. But in in our analogy, to keep, it, analogy, to keep yeah, it, yeah, simple. to keep it simple, right? Like all of that stuff are, are like all the verbs. And Ooh, so you may be now. like, you may be like table. You can push the table, pull the table, flip Breakfast, the table, lunch, jump dinner. on the table. Yeah, right? And so you have so much more flexibility. And I think all of that periphery is what I would call style, right? Mm. We typically like in the parkour world to mm. call style like free running and we call okay. it tricking and we call it, you know, the more acrobatic, like stylistic stuff that people associate with these highlight clips that they see on Instagram, mm. right? But really style is just all the periphery stuff that you would do with a move. So right? style can be like the aesthetic. And I think that's normal when people are like, oh, you did this for the way it looks. Or which is flip or whatever. which is let's That's be honest like 99 percent of parkour right even if it is skill if roof gap is technically it's skill but it is aesthetic so you because, because you're aesthetic. filming yeah. it yeah and it's the way it looks which right? no like shame just jump no shame we love that block and push that my broad jump yeah. but it's on like grass and you're like okay yeah so uh, then there's the style that is a description of a person and how and their preferences and how they apply it and what they look like when they do it. Like there's the finesse, there's the choices, there's the character. I think that's that's a, a broader definition, probably a better definition too that, um, that that could be used. So I think I've heard you more recently, Jesse, talk about like, you know, if I ask like, hey, are we going to do a style clip or something like that? And I feel a bit pigeonholed. Um, <laughs> Raven hold? Oh. Yeah. Crow hold. Crowed into. Crow- oh, there we go. <laughs> um, doing, uh, like, having to say that sometimes I feel like if I'm not doing enough sort of, like, dry skill work or speed work or something like that to say I'm not doing, I'm now a style guy, right? Like, I feel, like, sometimes forced into that um, yeah. definition at times. Or like, oh, I really, like, people will be like, hey, if you're not keeping up, to what people are doing in skill, or you're doing things that seem, let's say, less objective. Now you're a style person, and you're somehow less of a parkour person in in many ways. Like I really mm. do feel like there's a judgment in the sphere of parkour that that tends to be present. It doesn't really change my opinions much, but I'm just I just sense it, right? Huh. But what you've said recently, when I asked you, was like, hey, so we're gonna do a montage episode. What uh, you wanna do some style stuff, or you wanna do uh? And I don't even think I had to finish the sentence, but if you're like, it's all style, bro. And I was like, hmm, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Like, and that just hit me right. It's kind of haiku, right? Yeah. So, we can make it. Right? What's that? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to count syllables there. Not quite, but okay. <laughs> oh, no. Um, <laughs> not haiku, haiku, I'm sorry. Um, it's pretty close, uh, though. Yeah. Koan. Gongan. Like, oh, moment man. of zen. Yeah, koan. Right? Yeah. There's a koan. So, like, those things that sort of are um almost like uh i refer to koans as like um spiritual humor it's like it's like a joke i can't make you laugh i also if i'm like a wise master i can't make you enlightened but i may present a concept or an idea or say something at the right time that that person's like oh yeah i got it so it's basically spiritual humor right so you got it's got to land right and so in that moment for me i had some enlightenment where I was like, uh, it's true. Just like, let it go. You know what I mean? Like, let go of the idea that that stuff ever is in style. I like to think of it as, as like, 
as levels in a video game if we're going to bring it to, to video games here right and like at level one you you may be able to run around the beginner area and slay all sorts of monsters and grind and make little campfires if you're playing runescape level up your your fire making ability right mm. but the real fun is always as you get higher and higher right so the 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 desire or even like the the push to pursuing a higher skill level in parkour shouldn't be that you're just trying to get to the next level because you think that's what that's what it is but it's because it opens up so many more raids that you can go mm-hmm. on right like if everybody is like oh dude he yeah, said raids he said grades like gradient but raids no, no grades yeah, would have maybe yeah. a better word but <laughs> no, no yeah, my point right. is like right like if everybody's like Challenges. hey we're gonna go out and train you shouldn't feel obligated to have to keep up with everybody that you train with. We've talked about that, mm-hmm. but you should feel or should want to be able to to connect at a similar level, right? Mm-hmm. You should want to be able to like when you go out and train with other people to be like, I'll be able to do a large percentage of what they're going to be doing because that's the whole goal is to go out and be social, and we're being social, excuse me, through movement, right? In order to do that, you have to be a certain level. You can't go on a certain raid if you're not level 80, right? You can't. You just can't get in the door. And so sometimes you need to pursue that higher skill level so that you can get in the door. And if you want to do a different role on the raid rather than like what everybody else is doing, then hey, go for it, mm-hmm. right? But you do at least want to get in the door. Now, obviously, at some point, you won't be able to get there because maybe that skill gap's just too high or requires too much effort, or maybe you're injured, or maybe you, you just genuinely don't. baseline's in a different place. Or you just genuinely don't have a desire to do that, which is right. totally fine, right? Because maybe the people that you're training with are elite pro-level athletes, and you just happen to be like the, the just the regular guy, parkour yeah. guy, yeah. in which case you're like, that's not what I want to be. Totally fine. But there should still be some like, I want to up my skill baseline so that I can keep up with, with other people, or at least... I can explore a larger stylistic. Size. Yeah, and can you participate? Right, that's a big thing for me, and I um, continuously am just more cognizant and like appreciative of just being able to still play the game. Right, to be around yep. people who are moving and and still be a contributor to that um, chemistry. Right, mm-hmm. that's what matters the most to me. It's just what is it like. I still have just like like honed my sort of like social efforts or my personality efforts down to most recently this year um, as after my like, what am I like? I'm like almost five months into daily meditation. So there has been a lot of like retrospect, a lot of insight. Um, and I've just pretty much come down to there's like what it's like to be you and there's what it's like to be around you. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. Like there's the experience of being me and then there's the experience for you all and me when we're around each other. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. If you're asleep, there's something that's like to be asleep. Maybe remember it, maybe <laughs> not. When you wake up, you're alone or you're with other people and there's something that's like to be around them. And those are the things you should work on. Those are the most important things because that's reality. That's what's really happening. Everything else is imagined, right? That's style. That's style. <laughs> that's your style, right? <gasps> So yeah, yeah, just, you know, just trying to be shiny. So shiny. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so yeah. So I think in summary, we're saying style or pursuing your your training style is maybe the, the best way to find happiness in your practice mm-hmm. and just to be able to continue doing it, whether you're feeling 100%, 80% or 1%, right? Because you can always find something stylistically that's at your level, mm-hmm. but not to ignore the baseline skills. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you can like learn a step ball and then be like, that's it. Right. I've peaked in parkour. Yeah. I'll never need to do anything else because I'll just be the infinite style step ball master, which right. could be kind of cool, but it feels a little one dimensional. Right. Right. So it's like you, you, you level up to a different skill level and then you spend your time getting XP by pursuing all these lateral, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of diagonal skills. And then you feel like you've got enough XP to go to that next rank. Mm-hmm. And then you do the same thing, right? And that's like, that's 
until you get to the point where you're like, I'm happy with my training. I'm happy with where my strength and skill levels are. I don't mm. seek to go beyond that. And then you just get to explore the entire tree from top to bottom and all that's stylistically represented under that skill. Yeah, what you just described is enlightenment. Yes, I did it. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> I did it. Ah! There's so many stories in like and in in Chinese culture anyway uh, where you'll have like um, Buddhist masters or other you know Taoist masters or whatnot who pursue enlightenment and it's always this story of going through an institution or having a relationship with the self that's very challenging and fraught and then eventually getting to the point where you release that and you no longer need it and western stories use this too with different archetypes like hero archetypes or you know the reluctant um hero the different the hero's journey those type of narratives and so much of this is just like crafting a narrative like some of this is, so much of this is internal work right like You've got to craft a narrative where you're happy with yourself no matter what and what mm -hmm. you're doing first. And then you can get to a point where it's like, oh, now I have this freedom to explore because I've crafted a narrative that I'm comfortable with. And then hopefully eventually you don't need that narrative at all. You're just like doing right. Yeah. And that's what you, that's what you want to get to. I think one variable I want to call out in here is there is there's time in this matters so much. It's like there's ambition. And I will tell you the most ambitious like sort of the people who sold me the most on what they were going to achieve and accomplish just throughout my 15 years of fitness has been prospects, right? These are people who have, who actually never got in and did the thing that they advertised they were going to do with such enthusiasm. And, and early on in my sales career, I talked to these people and I felt like, oh, this is this this is the person. This person's going. They have all these. They'll talk to me for like two and a half hours about what, how how sold they are on whatever it is they're working on. Whether that early on was like weight loss or later on was like kung fu martial arts, and then came into parkour. And I was just so sure if I if I if I got had anybody as a customer or as a student that this was the one, right? Maybe they're athletic or whatever, blah blah blah, or they're just they seem like they're in it. And those are just the people that maybe they sign up, maybe they don't. Like the number of people like that who just don't even sign up were really high. And the number of people who signed up and then never showed up on day one, just it's almost to the point where like now when someone's super enthused and they come in and they're new, I'm like, cool, sounds good. But I'm not, you know, my heart's been broken too many times, right? <laughs> I'm not, you're not like, just show me, show me six months, show me a year. And then I know that now you're, it, you know, we got to look at Colin. Like he's one, he was one of the quietest guys coming in. And I always joke, he's a great coach, but I always joke about, his, when he got hired as a coach, we didn't hire Colin. Colin just showed up like some guy on like the office, right? So I had done like a uh, thing where I was like trying to pick people with like more like uh, uh, outgoing personalities out of the uh, adult class to work in summer camps. And I was like, hey, you guys come in for that and you guys come in for that and you come in for that. Okay, cool. And then Colin talked to the front desk, right? He talked to Emily at the front desk. She's like, you just need to go in and show, just show up. Just Love say it. I'm doing it. And then I showed up and I was literally like confronted him like, Colin, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm doing this. And I was like, okay, cute. So nice. <laughs> it's like the just... inverse of the, the office show where they're like, he was actually fired years ago, years but ago. through a glitch in the system, he still gets the <laughs> clock in. Right. It's like Colin was like, he was actually hired years ago, but nobody actually ever actually hired him. Actually hired him. Right. <laughs> so it was sort of a nice. funny thing. And so, but, but. Exercises like that, another experience with hiring, you know, hundreds of people and dismissing, you know, a percentage of them is just that time is such a good indicator. It's like you can't just like, all right, let's just take this slow. It's like I think dating should be like that, too. Where it's like it's not it's only fools rush in. Right. So let's just let's give this a little bit. And if it's meant to be, you know, brevet style, the cream's going to rise to the top. And you need to know that about yourself, too, because sometimes I get so excited about stuff. I'll be like, oh, my gosh. And I can't even talk like the design of the studio or something like locker doors, locker right? doors. Right. Uh, for you. <laughs> for one, no, I've thought about lockers for a while. So. <laughs> so then I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I know I'm going to do it. And then like like two weeks in, I'll be like, oh, shoot, I haven't touched that at all. Right. So know that about yourself, too, that just sometimes there's just time to be put in and that consistency matters. And maybe you're not the most consistent person. Maybe you rotate. You got to learn that about yourself. Where is consistency in your life? Where is it? Is it in phases? Is it straight through? Because some people are so crazy. They'll just 
those pick up a thing and they never let it down. But other people kind of have a more rotational thing. I'm a little bit more like mm-hmm. that. And it compounds over time. Like I can really stay interested in something for about two months and then I have to change the subject. That's a pretty narrow window. It is. It is about two months. So that's, but I, but I learned that about myself and I just vary the cycles. So it's more like, um, periodization and training than it is like giving something up. It's like, okay, I can spend about two months on this. I'm gonna put it down. This is important to me. I have like, you know, three to five things that are important to me to work on. And then I just rotate ish through them, whatever it might. It's like, I never do them. Right. There's some ritual there, but like deep dive. Yeah. It's about that for me, about a two month cycle of deep dive. So do you guys have that? Do you, I feel like I could grind on something for a very long time. See, yeah. No, yeah, I rotate quite a bit. What do you rotate with? Because you've been playing Apex really? since like season one. Oh, it's very chill. I will tell you the let you know the launch of Cyberpunk that night was the last time I played video games. I know. Yeah, I tried to play some other day. It took him like five hours. Because I had to like, download an update for the last six months, and I'm like, oh wait, there's an upgrade. There's an upgrade. There's an upgrade. Sorry. Yeah. Window lapsed. But yeah, I feel I'm like, uh, dude, I feel like uh, a lot of parkour people, to, to wrap my like opinions about it up, I feel like a lot of like true, like the pure parkour kids are intimidated by style because, and you see this with B-Boy too. I don't feel like anyone wants to do dance because it's like, it feels impossible to have that much swagger, <laughs> right? You look at someone and you're just like, you move every single muscle of your body so intentionally there's no way i'm going to get to that point mm. right now i can't even jump from point a to point b uh like six inches further than i want to and i feel like it's so easy to get intimidated by style because it, mm. it's more than just power it it is it is uh experience and a, ability you know, yeah there's a intelligence with moving that is quite like it feels ethereal but everyone has style you almost everyone you train with personally you could you know, put them, you know, as a silhouette and see them moving against the background and pick out who that person is without seeing their face. Everyone has a distinct way of moving. And if you just put more points into, you know, what that looks like, not necessarily how difficult your moves are, but just being more unique in the way that you move and and the silhouette of your movement, that's really, that's all you got to do to start off with. Right. It's not going to get you to B-boy or hip hop levels but at least getting your foot in the door and starting to define the way that you move as you know more unique you can really really get inspired by that process of discovery and you just have to own it and sometimes you you know a duck is a duck or like if you look at my silhouette yep oh yeah (laughs) you're gonna say it's ours bro (laughs) you're gonna be like who's that bird that's a big is that prehistoric right so just learn that about yourself yeah. and then find the ways to put the, the sparkle, right? Use that yeah. word, put the sparkle on it. And, and that's self-discovery and it's such a cool journey, mm-hmm. but it's very hard to see that when you, I, I love what you said earlier, cause you said that about B-Boy, but that's what my adult students say to me nonstop. They're like, yeah, you say that, but I look at you guys and you just like jump over there on that thing and that thing. It's <laughs> yeah. just like effortless. How do I see myself there? And that pointing a finger at the moon, right? Thing, yep. Right. So it's difficult, it's difficult, <laughs> but you had the answer right there. You have a style to yeah, learn you, you, which is why yeah. I like what Jesse said earlier about, um, if you take three shots of yourself, like three video clips, and then you maybe need to bring your expectations down. If it's not what you like, there's a, there's an element of like how in touch you are with what it is to be around you or see you. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause there's what's happening in your head when you do the move. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. that experience is totally different than a spectator yep. who looks at you. Right. So you need to be in touch. You need to have an uh, understanding of what it's like to see you and be honest with that. And I think most people are so like have that. I don't. They've never looked. It's a closet they won't open, or they're just in denial, or they have looked and they have so much judgment against it that they aren't owning up and being honest with just who they are and how they can improve. Mm-hmm. So that's very like record yourself, look at yourself, own up to it. If it bothers you, work on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, that's that's like style, right? It's like here's what you're doing. And here's what it looks like yeah. or yeah. what you expect that you're doing and what it actually looks like. And style is the pursuit of bringing those together, right? Mm-hmm. Style is that like when I dance or when I do this in my head, it looks like this. And on camera, it looks like this. They're very yeah. close, it's right? The that's that style. 
right? And that's why it's always very hard to compare yourself to someone and try to match someone else's style. Mm. Yep. But yeah. you can mimic them. I think it's very practical to mimic them and then and then be like, all right, I'm taking ten percent of that. Yeah. Yeah. Get yeah. It, yeah, you you copy them up to eighty percent and then the last twenty you just let it be. You're just like, whatever. That Travis's arms that are like six feet longer than mine will ever be. So how he does that, I don't know how, okay? But yeah. like I just, I can, I just push harder and they get longer. <laughs> but, right. Like, so you just get to 80% of like copying something and then, yeah, they're not actually six feet longer. I hope everyone knew I was being facetious. Longer. That. They're six yeah. feet. They're not six. They're like longer. six one, aren't they? They're like six one or something like that is your reach. Yeah. Six, six. Yeah. Six, three, I think. Yeah. And I'm five eleven. Boy, got some long arms. Oh, Dude, arms. making my arms look big is so hard. I'm in the gym like for six oh, months. Dude, yeah, you just gotta be doing like Scott curls. You gotta get them like right. the bicep blaster or whatever. Bicep the little, blaster. Like, little curve thing that you do your curls with. It's like so you can't if cheat. If my humerus was half as long, I'd just like I'd look like uh oh who uh who is who had the really yeah I just feel like there's I've had some students that have shorter humerus and they're like just always look like like Popeye. No, short femur squad. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the beams, the femur and the humerus. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, hope everybody kind of got some cool tips about like training style or sustainability around your practice. And certainly, yep. certainly, as always, the most important thing. Cullen's measuring his femurs right now. <laughs> <laughs> certainly, the most important thing about any of your practice is that you are happy you're and right. that you're enjoying it, and that that obviously comes from a certain bit of maturity but in our humble opinion that mm-hmm. comes from stylistically representing yourself as best you can through your movement mm-hmm. that's a, a pretty cool thing to have so um if you are listening to us you can check us out watch us on youtube if you're watching on youtube thanks for tuning in and seeing our pretty faces you can also listen to us on the go on spotify or apple Podcasts. thanks that's right we'll catch you next time